or a dad-to-be. Will you please stand so we can uh, celebrate you this morning? We got root beers. I don't know if you guys got that on the way in, but there's root beer um, in the coolers outside. So if you need a cold beverage, go grab one. I've been told there is a lot, um, so there might be extras available for the rest of y'all. My favorite Father's Day story is, uh, it was like the Saturday before Father's Day, and I had just gotten my license, and so it's kind of an expectation that once you get your license, like, all right, kid, you know, get your own present for your dad. So I go and I do that. And on the way home at, uh, oh, what's that, Perkins off of 694 there in Lexington, I'm sitting in my car and I'm waiting for some cars to go through and I'm turning left and I'm in the crosswalk and the light turns yellow and I'm still waiting for some people and the light turns red. I'm still kind of waiting for one car to go through. And then I go through and I get pulled over. And I don't have my license. So I get thrown in the back of the squad car Hauled off to jail. No, no, I didn't get hauled off. And what ended up, kind of the, the, what transpired over the course of those events was my dad, because I had said, you know, dad, I, I was in the intersection. I got to go through that intersection, even though it's red. And he says, let's go fight it. So we go and we, what a good dad. You know, we go and we fight the ticket and he ends up knowing the, uh, I think it was the county prosecutor or something. So I think he let me off pretty easy and we just had to pay court costs and good old Father's Day, good dad there, good dad story. He wanted to go just for the experience. Let's go to court. Let's take him to court, you know. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, we're glad you could be with us this morning. Um, this week, because of the heat, because I know that a lot of what I'm going to say is going to get lost in translation, because you hear, right now, you hear sweat. You hear it. If that is possible, you actually hear sweat. And so a lot of what's gonna, what I'm going to say is going to last in translation. So right off the bat, point of today's sermon, we'll just get it up front. Jesus Christ wants you to know that he is a king. He has a kingdom. And that kingdom is more real, more true than me, than you, than what you see, what you experience. It's more real. More valid, better, bigger than your emotions and your feelings and what your, your senses tell you. Now, he created the physical world. He has authority over the physical world. He even you know, came into the physical world to bear witness and to give evidence to what? To the fact that he's a king, a spiritual king, like we sang, a holy king, a sacred king. And so he comes into the world to give evidence and to bear witness and tell the story about God the Father, about this unseen, invisible kingdom that is real, that is true. And the world rejects him. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 say, He was in the world. Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And so today, there's, there's a line drawn and there's two sides. There is, on one side is the world, and on the other side is Jesus. And the world says to Jesus, we don't need you. We don't care about you. We don't want you. 
The world stands opposed to Jesus. The world with spit flying from the mouth says, crucify him. Crucify him. That's on one side. And on the other side, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, he says to the world, you need me. And I want you. And I love you. Jesus, with the spit from his mouth, makes mud, puts it on a guy's eyes who's been blind from birth, and he heals him, and the guy can see. The kingdom of the world arrests Jesus and puts him on trial. It is a cycle of events that will end with him being killed on a cross, a wooden cross. And in the midst of these trials and events, Jesus responds with grace and truth. His desire, his desire, in the midst of that, his desire is that these religious leaders, these government officials, the watching world would know that he is a king of a spiritual kingdom. He is a holy, righteous, sacred king and that you and I are welcome to come into his kingdom. In verse uh, 12 of chapter 1 it says, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. That's it. There it is. Okay? In a nutshell, that's what I'm going to talk about. So there it is. For those of you who need to nod off to sleep or need to think about how you're going to get cool, you already got the message. But we are in the middle of a series, The Gospel According to John. And we've been here for many weeks, many sermons. And we're in the, part, the third part of this gospel, which we've called Suffering and Glory, Jesus Christ's Procession to the Cross. I entitled this sermon, The Kingdom of This World, Plaintiff versus Jesus of Nazareth, Defendant. Mainly the kingdom of this world in this story, you're going to see two people, two um, religious, one's a religious leader, one's a government leader, uh, Annas and Pilate. We have crazy texts for this morning. Usually we like to just take a chunk, but we have five different texts this morning because we're going to track the trials. In, interspersed kind of in this are Peter's denials, and we're going to take that next week, but we're just going to kind of track some of the trials, so we're going to skip around a little bit. But beginning in chapter 18, verse 12, it reads this way. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Back in That was back in John 11, uh, verse 49. So the background of this story, what we've talked about the past couple weeks, is that Judas Iscariot has betrayed Jesus. He has gone and collected Roman soldiers. He's gone and collected religious leaders. And they have brought, he's brought those people to Jesus and said, that's who you're looking for. Jesus is the problem. There he is. Go get him. And so, um, by this point, they are in a garden. And there's an encounter with Judas' people and with Jesus' people. And remember what Peter does? Takes a sword, point-blank range, knocks the guy's ear off. Personally, point-blank range, I'm thinking Peter should have done better than that, but um, he takes a big chunk out of the guy's head, and Jesus ends up healing them to communicate something. That it's not about the physical world, not about this physical battle, not about the arrest. So Jesus heals the guy and essentially tells Peter and those that are watching that the time for his suffering has come. And not only that, it's his plan that he would suffer. That's his plan. He says that this is the cup the Father has given him, the cup referring to suffering 
and he receives it willingly, gladly. A part of the Bible in Hebrew says, with joy. He accepts the suffering that comes with the cross. So in our story for today, those opposed to Jesus finally arrest him, and they bring him to Annas. Annas is the father-in-law of the current high priest. Okay? question maybe you're asking yourself is why? Why would they bring him to the father-in-law of the current high priest? Why not the high priest? He has the power, religiously speaking, why not go to him? Essentially, most commentators feel like, all right, Annas is kind of like the um, high priest emeritus, like you have professor emeritus at your maybe universities where like they kind of still have the title, but they don't do any work anymore, but they still kind of carry some authority. That's Annas, okay? He's got some authority. He's got a title. He's got a role that he's playing. But while he's, while Jesus is meeting with Annas, it's likely that Caiaphas is gathering all the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, getting people together to have an official trial. So Annas is talking to Jesus, and it's more kind of a, a police interrogation than a formal trial. But in verse 19, it says, The high priest, referring to Annas, not Caiaphas, he still's got the title though, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When Jesus had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So it's uncertain at this time what all Annas knew about Jesus. Okay? Jesus is definitely causing waves in the religious community. Jesus, his, his miracles, his teachings, his work, his ministry, his disciples, the followers, that is causing a stir. Now, we don't know how much of that stir has gotten back to Annas, this father-in-law. Surely he knows something. We just don't know how much. And so he inquires of him. And Jesus is like... What's going on here? You know, I have said all I need to say. There should be no need to gather facts. If you want to gather facts, there are people who have heard me say these things. Go talk to them. Plenty of eyewitnesses. Plenty of people you could talk to. If, it's, if, if, if what you're looking is for me to kind of confess some sort of blasphemous thing, it's like, we're already there. I have shown myself and made it known that I am God the Son. Okay. In this conversation then, not getting anywhere, seeming like Annas is kind of talking on a, a physical level and Jesus is kind of at that spiritual level talking about spiritual kingdom, they just don't quite connect. And so at this point, Jesus gets sent from Annas to Caiaphas in front of all the religious leaders, in front of the Sanhedrin, has a formal trial. It's not captured in John's Gospel. If you go to Mark's account, you'll see it there. But essentially, they say... Are you claiming to be God? And he says, yes. <laughs> that, boil it down in a nutshell in a hot summer Sunday morning nutshell. That's it. He says, yes. And they say, what else do we need? Let's kill this guy. Okay, so that trial happens. And John doesn't include it because everybody at that time would know that's what happened. So verse 28, we pick it up. He's gone, he's gone to Caiaphas. They've had that whole trial. Jesus has said it. They say, all right, that's it. We're getting him killed. Verse 28, story picks up back in John's account. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas 
to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Listen to the irony in that. Okay, really wanting to hold to their religious system, their religious tradition. We don't want to be ceremonially unclean. And we're going to kill this guy. Okay, I mean, the, the irony is just incredible. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? What accusation? Why are you bringing this guy to me? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself, judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So in this time, Pilate governs this area of Judea. He is the prefect. He's been set up by Caesar to kind of maintain peace. This is a Roman territory, and and there is Pilate, just maintaining peace. And with him, him and kind of the Israel nation, they kind of have a symbiotic relationship. They both utilize each other. They both need each other. And in this situation, the Jews are like, Pilate, he's our helper. At his prerogative, at his discretion, we can get this guy killed. If we convince Pilate, Jesus will be killed. And Pilate doesn't know anything about this. He doesn't know what's going on. Has less information to go on than Annas would or Caiaphas would. And so, he basically just says, why do you want this guy killed? And did he catch their answer? Like, well, I mean, come on, if he weren't doing evil, I mean, you know, uh, you know, it's bad, you know, it's, it's, uh. I mean, there's, there's nothing there. There's no, like, specific accusation, no declaration. They're just kind of batting it around there. And can you imagine being Pilate? These guys just say, well, you know, he did evil. We wouldn't bring him to you otherwise. And it's just like, what's Pilate supposed to do? Just kill the guy based on that, you know? And he doesn't. And he understands kind of that this guy doesn't have guilt. And so the story continues. One of the elements that I just wanted to point out is why, why is it that when the Jews back there, let me, let me just re-quote it there for you. The Jews say to Pilate, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And then the Bible captures in verse 32. When the Jews say that, this fulfills the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Why does that prove that? Okay? Jesus, back in uh, chapter 12, 32 and 33, says, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth, crucified, I will draw all people to my earth. So he makes that prediction six, six chapters ago. And now here, the Jewish leaders say, Man, we can't put this guy to death. And in doing that, it's like, all right, we are going to get this guy put to death. How is that? By the Romans. How do they crucify, how do they execute people? By crucifixion. So there it is, the fulfillment, that he will be lifted up, he will be crucified. There's kind of a sequence of events that happens. But let's pick up the story in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters, just trying to make sense of this thing, trying to understand. The people that brought Jesus have given him nothing to work with. So he goes in, he calls Jesus, says to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Again, physical, spiritual. They're t- Pilate's kind of talking about like this national king. Are you, are you a leader of these people? And Jesus is saying, Do you understand at all what you're talking about? They're just not quite clicking. Jesus is talking at a spiritual level. Pilate answers him, Am I a Jew? 
Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. What is the purpose? To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So again, Pilate knows nothing, very little at most, of Jesus' life and ministry and miracles. He's just trying to get the bottom of this thing. Here's a guy. All these people want this guy dead. Why? Why is that? And Jesus does not respond in a way that probably Pilate would want him to. He starts talking about a spiritual king, a spiritual kingdom, a place where he has authority. And the whole reason why he came into this world was not a physical reason. It wasn't to set up a physical nation, a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. He says, my kingdom is not from this world. If there was, there'd be revolt. There'd be upheaval, but it's not. And Pilate asks him, kind of what he, the, the famous question that Pilate is known for is what is truth? And I, I think if Pilate had stood there and give Jesus a chance, just a, a moment to share, kind of how would Jesus respond and I think he would say something like, you want to know the truth? Do you really want to know the truth, Pilate? The reality is, is I am the truth. I am the way. I am life. There is no truer reality. Nothing more sure. Nothing more important. Nothing bigger. Nothing more clear than me. I am God. You want to know something for certain about truth? Know me. Do you like apples? I'm the truth. How do you like them apples? You know, that, that's it. That's all you need to know. That's the most important thing you can know. That is true. That is reality. That is it. I'm spiritual king with a kingdom. I was mulling over Jesus' words here of having a kingdom, being a spiritual king, having his kingdom not be of this world. And I was mulling these words over um, during the time that we hosted this week's annual Shine Preschool Yard Sale. Huh? Look at that yard sale. Wing dinger of a yard sale. Anywhere from 12 to 15 families donated to that thing. And that was my true reality. That was like, dude, I mean, the sweat that was dripping off our face and running, you know where you get that like run down the back sweat? It's like, I am really sweating when that happens. You know, like, for me, that was just like, man, this sweat is real, and this heat is real, and we're under, we got like ice, and we're putting it on our legs to try and keep cool, and, and hauling all the tables, and moving all the furniture, and just kind of interacting with people, and it's like, gosh, this feels real. And, and when, the, 
when the guy came and, and he shared with me about his prostate surgery, it's like the awkwardness was real. Like I really felt it. And it, and it increased when he kind of pulled up his shirt and then says, well, you're not a female, so I can show you this. And kind of pulls down his waistband and shows me the different incisions from his prostate surgery. That was real. I, I mean, that, that experience I'll never forget, you know, the, the awkwardness of that. And even, I mean, even as, I, as we went through and, and the money that was brought in, and praise God, it was, you know, a good amount of money for the, for the kids of the preschool. And, and just having those experiences, those awkward times and that, that heat and stuff, like, this is real. And, and then wrestling with Jesus' words to say, Whatever you're feeling that feels real, that you think, man, this is it. The sweat and the labor and the work and the, the back ache and, and all that stuff. My kingdom, my reality is so much more truer than that. So much more important. So much more critical. There is no truer reality. This morning, if you could just hear that, there's no more truer reality than Jesus Christ. He is real. He is a king. What you and I experience physically is a mere shadow of spiritual reality. It's a glimmer. It doesn't even come close to, it, to being able to express that reality fully. Continuing on in our story, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And for those of you who don't know, this is a brutal brutal way of treatment where Jesus receives whip after whip after whip and the whip has bits of bone and glass and shards of stuff so that every whip removes more and more and more of Jesus' skin off his body. Verse 2, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself equal with God, made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now commentators look at these verses as just the pinnacle of this whole trial, of this whole arrest, of this whole process. Jesus is actually crowned a king. He's robed in purple, signifying majesty. It's incredibly ironic. They do it in a mocking way, not fully understanding that this guy will be one day just clothed in majesty before everybody. Every knee one day will bow to this guy as the king of all ages. It's incredibly ironic. For those who who are into grammar, there's a chiastic structure, a way that this is written out 
that just culminates with Jesus being robed. Again, Pilate is uncertain of Jesus' guilt. Jesus is sitting there King of ages, sacred, holy king, king of this spiritual kingdom, has authority over the entire physical world and is there, bleeding, in a humble position, in a humble manner, and yet orchestrating this thing. Verse 9, Pilate entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Exasperated, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Most likely referring to Caiaphas there. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So again, you have this relationship, this symbiotic relationship. They both need each other. And if the Jews get up into a a religious uproar, Pilate is going to lose his job. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement. It's a platform, a high place. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Did you hear that? The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, we have no king but Caesar. Those words speak volumes. Jesus Christ wanted them to know, wanted them to see through his teachings, through his ministry, through his miracles, soon through his death and resurrection, wants them to know, wants them to hear that he is their king. The whole reason he came into this world was to give witness, to give, give light to that truth, to allow them to see the unseen to be a visible representation of this invisible kingdom. In seeing Jesus Christ, you can see God the Father. In seeing Him, you can know about this invisible, spiritual, real, it's real, this real kingdom. The religious leaders missed it. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. This morning the line is drawn. The same decision that was before the the leaders that brought him to Pilate, the same decision is before you and I. Do you believe in him? Do you hear his words that he makes the claim that he is a king? Do you hear those words? And what is your response? Do you want to be a part of his kingdom? Part of his entourage? You can. Like I read in verse 12, chapter 1. To all who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That could be yours this morning. Will you pray with me? God, it occurs to me that each person in this room has a reality. 
They have things that they feel is real, that is true, that they base their life on. It may be physical, it may be based on their five senses, based on their own understanding. Things that they feel are real, that they can trust. And God, I just ask you by your spirit to move in their hearts and their minds and allow them to hear this word that you want to have from this morning. That there is no one more real, no one more important than Jesus Christ the King who one day will come again not clothed in humility, not mocked and ridiculed, but with power and great glory. And on that day, the saints will stand up and sing and praise and rejoice for they have aligned themselves with the King of Kings, the one who is truly real, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. Amen.